Good morning, friends, and welcome to a new episode of Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph, and this is a show that dives into health and healing, where we discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Today, we're going to talk about protecting kids from sexual abuse and what parents can do as proactive measures. Thanks for tuning in. So naturally, this is a topic that might cause some discomfort and for a variety of reasons. For one, I know that we have many parents out there who in their own stories at some point may have been um, targeted or may have been peripherally confronted with something like sexual abuse in their own upbringing. Statistics support that it's far more common than we would ever be really um, interested or wanting to wrestle with, but it just is. And the other piece that gets categorically pretty difficult is parents so viscerally want to protect their own children. And when we talk through something like sexual abuse, it's, I mean, you you recoil at the thought of it. It's, it's such a, a grotesque, unimaginable thing, but it is something that we need to be concerned about. And there's there's a variety of ways that sexual abuse happens in a kid's story. And for some, it's, it's in their, you know, unsafe adults that are in their life. And other people's stories, it's unsafe peers. And other people's stories, it's unsafe siblings or um, people in their extended family network. So it can take a variety of forms, and I want to make sure that we camp out in several very specific areas today of proactively helping kids instead of reactively needing to respond. Now, obviously, none of these measures are foolproof, but what we want to do is equip kids to first know how to use their own voice, second, understand the rights that they have um, to their own bodies, and third, discourage them and create a culture where they are not asked or requested to keep secrets about anything, especially anything related to their own bodies. And so I've, I've said this before in other episodes, I do highly ascribe to an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think it translates well here too. And we need to create a culture where kids are not, number one, putting politeness first and foremost. It is not a child's job to navigate adults' emotions. It is not a child's job to be polite more than it's their job to be aware of their own safety. And so we need to, from a very young age with kids, teach them that it is okay if someone is making you uncomfortable to indicate that they are feeling uncomfortable. The reason why it matters early on is because discernment is going to be learned from their youngest of ages. If they're taught, and I'm I'm talking about any child is taught at ages four, five, six, seven, eight, if someone requests a hug, you have to give them a hug, you can't say no. If someone asks you to sit on your lap and that makes you uncomfortable, you can't say no. If we're creating an infrastructure where that's accurate in their youngest of years, imagine how that translates after five, six, seven, eight years of compliance, and suddenly there's there's people making more inappropriate requests of them, but they've been conditioned to say yes, and they've been conditioned to put other people's comfort first. We're creating a real problem if that's the case. And so using their own voice, and I know there are people who are like, well, it's just a hug. It's not a big deal. What are you saying about me that, that I'm not even able to hug your child without permission? Well, if I were a parent, I would say, I'm teaching my child that while you're safe and we can trust you, and and I I assume that's true, I can't teach them to tacitly say that everyone is safe and everyone can touch them, and that's true for everyone. So I'm sorry if it's offensive to you that my child can ask and and you need permission to hug them, but I'm setting them up for long-term strength and using their voice. And I don't think a single parent has to apologize for that. I know that um, for some parents even, that's a very uncomfortable thing. But if you want to proactively equip your child to push back against potential victimization, giving them the right to using their own voice is going to be a paramount piece of that. The second thing is asking them, or rather equipping them with, with the ability to use correct vocabulary about their body. Talking about things 
in, um, you know, pet names or talking about things in like cute little cheeky ways, it's probably a far more damaging thing than we realize because when we don't acknowledge things outright or when we don't practice saying things outright, when it comes time to discuss something that might have happened to violate our rights, we're just not going to have the vocabulary built to say, this happened, this is where I was, this is what was going on, this was the context. Instead, we're, we're talking in language that's more um, polite, language that's more comfortable, and perhaps we're missing part of the narrative. Or even worse, perhaps kids aren't going to share the narrative because we've put shame around body parts and we've um, disallowed them from practicing saying them in matter-of-fact ways. And so vocabulary building is one of the things that we need to get comfortable with. Vocabulary building about their own bodies, but also vocabulary building about the emotions they experience when small things happen so that they can use that um, emotional language if and when big things happen to them. Explaining to kids about their bodies also includes not only saying the right words, but also explains to them what privacy means. So they are allowed to have privacy. If they are in the bathroom and an adult comes in, that is something where they're allowed to say, may I have some privacy, please? Now, if they invite an adult in, so they're saying, um, hey, I, I need help with this certain thing in the bathroom, that's different. That's okay. And we encourage them to say, mom, you're a safe adult. You know, they're not obviously not saying this out loud, but they're saying it in their brain and they need your assistance. So they say, mom, can you come into the bathroom and help me with something? That sounds like an incredible skill for a child to have. Can I handle whatever this is in privacy on my own? Or do I need to invite a safe adult in? And they can grapple with that from, you know, some of their earlier experiences where they get to start experimenting with autonomy. If you're living in a household where kids don't really have privacy, so parents can bust into their rooms at any time or parents can bust into the bathroom or they could be in the bath and parents come in and make comments about their bodies and stuff. There, That really does set up a dynamic where kids don't understand that they have privacy or the rights to privacy. And so they're going to be less affronted if a less safe adult busts into their life in that same way because we've created some sort of comfortability with being intruded upon, which is really just not a great dynamic to start. So helping them understand you have the right to privacy. These are your body parts that especially have the right to privacy. If adults are intruding on your right to that privacy, that's where we start to have discussions that are going to be um, really, really uh, hopefully helpful, but also imperative for kids. Part of that goes back to intentional skill building and teaching kids that they have the right to say things like, no, no thank you. I'm not interested in that. Please stop. And not just telling them, hey, kiddo, if um, if someone asks you something, you know, we say this cryptically, if someone asks you something and you don't think it's appropriate, feel free to say no. No, we, we practice with kids the art of saying no. We model to kids our right to say no. And we do it again and again and again and again. Rehearsal is key in non-stressful times so that when times of stress are um, upon us, we have the muscle worked in to say no when things are not okay. And so we need to, again, practice with kids who are four and five and six and seven so we don't have young women and young men when they're 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and they're unpracticed at saying no. That's just not a dynamic that's helpful. It's not a dynamic that is going to keep them as safe as possible. If they don't know their rights to their own bodies, if they don't know how to say no or a assert their rights, if they've never had the practice um, or the opportunity to have privacy, those are recipes for disaster as it relates to victimization. So giving them constant coaching 
asking or, or pretty consistent coaching about, you can say things like, don't touch me. You can't do that. Please stop. We have to equip them with that. Abuse tends to take place when we don't know our rights. And the other thing is abuse takes takes place in certain environments. And this I know can feel so affronting because some of us can look in our stories and understand that abuse happened there. Some parents might hear this and wonder if it's an accusation about what um, what their environment was. And that's just not the case. Um, you know, saying these, these facts are, are not to levy accusations against people. But manipulators and predators look for specific types of environments and it is in those environments that they will perform abusive behaviors. And it's because there's environments of compliance. It's because there are environments where kids do not know their rights. It's environments where politeness is prioritized. It's environments where um, parents are probably less engaged with their kids. It's environments where kids are seeking out approval or seeking out extra attention. There are many pieces that lead into abuse and often the environment is one of the contributing factors, which is why this conversation is focused around what do you do in the home to proactively cultivate an environment where kids organically would be a little bit more safe from intrusion. It's not to say abuse can't happen anywhere because it absolutely does. We just know that there are patterns and trends where it shows up more often and the environment is going to be one of those key pieces. Abuse happens when we don't know our rights. We have to know that we can go to parents with anything. So if you're you're cultivating an environment where kids are not allowed to practice vocabulary, they're not a, a, allowed to have privacy, but specifically if there are topics in the house that are not allowed, we are potentially creating a very destructive dynamic for kids. Because when you ask a, a six, seven, eight-year-old to not say certain things, they kind of are going to make universal applications of, oh, there are things I can't talk about here. And as soon as kids are asked to be secret holders, as soon as kids are asked to be like discerning about what's allowed to be talked about and what's not allowed to be talked about, we are now putting the onus on them to navigate some really tough stuff. We are asking them to decide, is this okay to say to mom and dad? Or maybe this isn't something I should say to mom and dad. And when they're having to discern that, the pieces that are um, have been shamed or the pieces that they've never been uh, explicitly told, no, you may come talk to mom and dad. In fact, you must come to talk to mom and dad about something like this. When they don't know that, often kids are going to deal with it in their own way. And on Wednesday's episode, we're going to talk about what kids do. They start to create narratives, very faulty, very um, kind of long-term damaging narratives if they don't know that they're supposed to and if they don't know that they're allowed to come talk to adults if and when things like abuse actually happens in their stories. So we have to have discussions. We have to practice discussions. Um, one of the things I like talking with parents about is when parents are modeling boundaries, they should very specifically say to kids, you see how I said no there? I want to give you permission to say no if people make requests requests of you that aren't, um, that you're not able to do or that are inappropriate. Parents need to just walk with kids very intentionally through, this is what you do if someone asks you about something you don't want to do. But that's especially true where parents say, if anyone asks you to keep a secret, that is not your responsibility to keep secrets. Now, the way that gets modeled in the home that can be really damaging is if a child goes to mom about something and mom says, okay, but don't tell your dad. Or a child goes to dad about something and he says, sure, but don't tell your mom. When we create a, a culture of secret keeping, in the home, the kid, again, is going to struggle with discernment about who can I talk to, what can I say to them, when can I say it, and it isn't something that a child should have to navigate through. A child should have a more black and white posture of, you may talk to us about anything, we're going to work on keeping our reactions appropriate, do not keep secrets from us, and parents, do not ask your children to keep secrets. It's an inappropriate request. It should not be put on the shoulders of children. So as we wrap up today, that's one of the things to talk about, um, or to really circle back 
back and focus on. We have to have discussions. Kids need to know what safe and unsafe behaviors are. We need to build vocabulary as much as possible. We need to teach them their rights to privacy. We need to practice with them the opportunities to say yes, please, and no, thank you, and that's not appropriate. And we need to practice that again and again and again. Kids who are exploited young often are put on a trajectory where they're exploited again and again, and it's because the same environment exists for them. So we have to be proactive in what we do so that we don't have to be reactive if and when something bad happens. And the final part here is to teach kids that there's no such thing where automatic authority gives someone automatic rights over them. So when we think of some of the more well-known places where kids might get exploited, um, we're thinking of people like coaches and mentors. We're thinking of things like bosses, um, even you know, in a school context, teachers, in a familial context, aunts and uncles. Automatic authority in someone's life, like if you do have a boss, does not give them automatic rights to anything about you about your thoughts, about your body, about whatever is going on in your life, authority has limits. Please emphasize that with your children. That also goes with limiting mom and dad's access to some degree. And again, I I feel that parents would be recoiling saying, how dare you ever think that I would do anything to my kids? And what I'm saying is the fact that you're not doing something to your kids is imperative that you explain to them, this is why I'm not doing things. This is why you have rights. These rights translate into all facets of your life. And if someone pushes back against those rights, you do have a voice that you can use. You do have rights on your side. So we have to model for them that authority does not mean automatic rights to them. So that's where we're going to end it for today. I do encourage you to come back on Wednesday so we can talk through what a child experiences often when they are victimized. And again, this is supposed to be proactive education. The more we can manipulate the environment to be healthy, the more we can manipulate the environment to be healthful for a child, the better they're going to be able to navigate tough stuff when it comes along. And that's what we want to do. We want to equip them to know how to respond. We want to equip them to know where to go if and when something happens. And we want to equip them to understand their rights that they have over their own thoughts, their own bodies, their own emotions, their own feelings. If you can prepare your child well in that way, you are not only creating an infrastructure in their youth, you're creating an infrastructure that will translate into them being healthy, assertive, boundaried adults. And what a beautiful gift to give your children. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you found this helpful, it is so nice for you to share if you're able to, um, especially with other parents, parents who might need to hear this, parents who might not understand how vulnerable kids can be share this with them. Um, If you're able to like, follow, whatever that looks like, it's always appreciated. And I will talk to you guys soon.